Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Hey, everybody. For this week's episode, we're going to play back a recent panel from our virtual event, Celebrate Online. And it's called the Unstoppable Leadership Panel because, as you know, 2020 has been challenging. And so we wanted to celebrate revenue professionals and how resilient we've all been. And so you're going to hear from today's top B2B industry leaders. This panel is hosted by Sam Jacobs, founder of Revenue Collective, and it features Michelle Benfer, VP of Sales at HubSpot, Ryan Barreto, SVP of Global Sales at Sprout Social, and Danny Herzberg, Senior Director of Sales at Slack. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome. We are incredibly excited to bring this panel to you today. We're going to be talking about uncertain market conditions, how have businesses responded to the unprecedented times, that word that we always use, uh, over the last couple of months, and what does unstoppable mean to each of these organizations and to each of these leaders? So why don't we start with you, Danny? The, the theme of the conference uh, end of today is unstoppable. So let's start with everybody telling the audience, what does unstoppable mean to you, particularly in this environment? It's a new word in my vernacular, but I love it. Um, I think it's like, you know, you, you can't even have the concept of stopping in your mind if you want to be unstoppable. So to me, it means executing with focus and conviction, like there is no other option but to win. Awesome. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I, I would say it's about resilience. And to me, it's all about the mindset. And in times where you'd expect people to have excuses, it'd be reasonable to have excuses. It's seeing that positive mentality, people looking for the silver lining and then responding with a plan, not accepting that these obstacles in front of us are gonna stop us from being able to hit our goals. And Michelle, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I echo what Ryan's saying. I have been um, nothing short of impressed by not just my team, but also the customers that have come on board recently with HubSpot. The number of small businesses, medium-sized businesses that have acknowledged that they need to pivot their strategy and make sure that they're really, you know, best in class and how they want to operate. And there has just been this real fabric of business leaders who, you know, really live that unstoppable essence. Um, and so, yeah, it's that resilience and that, you know, figure it out factor. Awesome. Well, let's, let's turn to, let, let's talk about the last couple of months and let's talk about this concept of business agility, because I'm really interested both in how all of you have experienced changes from your buyers and also what you've done with your organizations into, to address and, and directly support those changes. So Michelle, staying with you, what's changed about the buyer landscape over the last couple of months? I imagine a lot has. And what have you done? What initiatives or tactics have you implemented in order to adapt to these changes at HubSpot? Yeah, so, you know, I'll be honest. At first, we didn't know what was going to happen. I, I think probably a lot of sales reps or managers or businesses listening today 
you know, we weren't sure the way that this was going to go. And I think what we first tried to do is have empathy for our prospects and our customers. And the way that HubSpot approached it is because we really are like the leaders of the inbound strategy, we really adjusted a lot of the content that we were putting out there as well as the tone. So from a content perspective, that's my that's my buddy, my dog, just in time. Something is going wrong and he's, he's letting you know about it. Probably too many Amazon deliveries happening. <laughs> well, he's uh, protecting you, so that's from, good. From Instagram ads, don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> But so anyways, we really we really pivoted our content strategy to have a different tone as well as be um, to educate, uh, especially marketers, what was going on in the world um, right now. And so we created a series that was called Adapt. It was a weekly webinar that we could talk to not just sales leaders, but marketing leaders on what are some of the benchmarks and industry trends that we're seeing, everything from website traffic to email open rates and things of that nature. Surprisingly, we significantly increased all of our website traffic in a short amount of time. And that was a big surprise to us. So from a marketing perspective, that was one of our business pivots. Of course, I think like a lot of businesses, we really adjusted which industries we were calling on. So there's a huge boom when it came to online learning, uh, when it came to a lot of e-commerce companies, and then just a lot of businesses that had realized I really need to adapt a more remote and digital friendly strategy. And so we really leaned in there while also being supportive of our customers with things like flexible billing terms, um, working with partners on upfront commissions, things of that nature. So we really tried to be nimble. We pivoted quickly and honestly, it's paid off big time for the business. Ryan, how about you? What have you seen across the landscape and, and how have you adjusted? Yeah, d definitely some similar themes to HubSpot and what Michelle shared. Overnight, so many businesses, every business has been forced into this digital transformation and we live within the social media space. So we saw the same sort of dynamics where traffic actually stayed really healthy for us. And, and we're an inbound model. So trials are, are really are, uh, are the way that we generate the majority of our revenue. And so we saw actually pretty healthy trends there, but we, we consume a lot of the HubSpot content. We saw the same dynamics happening where Traffic was great, trials were coming in, but engagement with buyers wasn't where it was before. And when we looked at our listening data, our social listening data, what we determined was similar to what Michelle just highlighted. This move from empathy, which is what we led with initially, um, was getting old. And people were okay with the fact that you were checking in on them, but at some point they, they wanted to move back into how are we gonna do business? And so we, we leaned more into the education. We actually moved from, obviously we couldn't do in-person events anymore, but we moved to doing um, uh, online events. So we actually had our biggest online summit happen in the middle of this and, and actually just focused in on educating the workforce. So that, that was a big part of it. I would also echo that you're seeing different dynamics in terms of the, the verticals and the industries you sell into. And so we saw a, a big spike in higher ed and government. Um, but I would also say that even in places where you expect to see a lot of challenge in our business, things like retail, and travel still remained um, an interesting market for us because even those organizations needed to figure out digital pretty quickly if they were going to survive and then come out of this thriving. Ryan, it, it, given that, and, and everybody weigh in, everybody at Slack and HubSpot all sell to a variety of different personas in a, different, in a variety of different industries. And we've talked about segmentation of pipeline and, and basically there's a group of industries that you can't sell to anymore. And there's a group of industries that are thriving and even growing through the pandemic. Did you do anything around the organization of the sales team? Did you make any modifications to incentives to structure in order to address this imbalance that was created sort of on a moment's notice? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for us, and I think for many organizations, SMB in our agency market, um, especially the SMB agencies were hit the hardest. And so, you know, similar to HubSpot, we had to lean into flexibility and working with those customers and trying to figure out how we could support their business for those that were still open. And what we did on the marketing and sales side is we shifted some of our resources into places like mid-market and enterprise. We ran a higher ed campaign. So we definitely had to be nimble in understanding where the market was at and realizing that the message wasn't going to resonate across every segment and vertical. Awesome. Danny, how about you? What, how have buyers changed? I imagine there's probably a, you know, a spectrum of behaviors that you've seen and probably some positive indications as a consequence of everything that's been happening. But what are you seeing at Slack and what initiatives or tactics are new that you've used to adapt to buyer behavior and even to evolve how you manage the team? Yeah, I mean, I think there is more emphasis than there has been before on, you know, food, shelter, clothing purchases. So essentially like what do you absolutely need to survive and thrive in this kind of a setting? And so, you know, Slack is lucky in that um, I think we fall into that for remote communications and collaboration, but also e-signatures and other tools um, that are just uh, mission critical right now to, to companies, organizations. Um, and then trying to think what else beyond, you know, every, I echo a lot of what Michelle and Ryan said, I would say um, customers rightfully so are nervous about change management because when you normally bring on a tool, especially one like Slack, where a lot of um, change in behavior is necessary, um, it's intimidating to do that um, in an all remote world. Like you don't get to socialize, you don't get to have an all hands about it and show people what to do. So I think being really aware of that, we've actually um, staffed up our professional services org and I'm seeing a much higher attach rate of pro services um, to even some of the mid-market deals um, that we're selling because people wanna make sure that someone is there in the trenches kind of helping them set it up and doing it with them. So that's that's kind of a new angle for us. Interesting. Michelle, how have you, how is team, you know, one of the things we're hearing is, is just about communication and, and team management internally, not just buyer behavior, but the efforts that we need to make to stay in touch with the team and to keep them motivated and to keep them engaged. What have you seen across the, the sales team that you run in terms of new strategies for managing the team, new communication cadences and things like that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's been a really tricky time and not just with the COVID pandemic, but everything going on in the world of Black Lives Matter, things of that nature. So we've really had to be um, very deliberate and considerate in the way that we think about our, our team communication. So my team, I have just about 110 reps under me and 13 managers and two directors. So it's a pretty big team and they're, you know, across the, the U.S. And so We've taken a look at our communications cadence where we look at this every year throughout the year. We ask for feedback from our team. So we do a team video on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I send one on Wednesdays. I have one director on Mondays, another one on Fridays. So they get to hear from the leadership team every week. Um, outside of that, we send pretty consistent surveys to the team. What's working? What's not working? Where can we be better? How can we serve you more effectively? And then outside of that, you know, we we do our kind of standard um, monthly recaps where we give shout outs, but we've tried to create these intimate sessions where I do coffee chats once a week with a group of five reps. Uh, we create office hours with senior directors 
and we're always eliciting feedback. I met, I had my coffee chat meeting with some reps today and a lot of them want to do trivias. They want to have more casual encounters. A lot of them are pretty new in their career. They really miss the buzz of the office floor and they'd like more opportunities for, uh, to connect with other employees and meet new people. So it's an iterative process. We don't always nail it, but we're always asking for feedback on how we can get better. Ryan, how about you? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people are tired of the happy hour, so <laughs> you, you can see creativity coming in. I think two things that I've, I've enjoyed from, that I've seen from our team. One, um, we've seen uh, a lot of SE teams actually in our organization doing their version of Cribs. So every week someone is featured on Cribs and they're going into their fridge and having some fun with it. Um, we've increased the amount of communication, similar to Michelle, just in terms of all hands. I think video is just a great way. If you're not going to be doing a lot of live meetings, sending out small uh, video clips to the team on specific uh, messages is being great. We're doing that from a communication perspective um, on, on objectives, but also just on enablement and training, small hits. Um, so those, those are a couple of things that have stood out for the team. But they definitely miss the buzz in, in the office, and they miss some of that casual conversation you normally have when you're just walking around. And so I think the more that you can lean into having some of those off the cuff conversations is even better. I mean, we're leveraging things like Slack to do that with our team today. I'm curious from everybody, there's a set of activity KPIs that we were, that you were and we were measuring before. I'm curious, have those changed? Have, have you increased or decreased emphasis on behaviors like total activities, number of dials, number of connects, is, are they the same metrics as pre-pandemic? Are they different metrics? Is there the same level of intensity and focus on them? How have you reacted from a measurement perspective, keeping in mind, of course, that there's this balance between wanting to trust the team, but also needing to make sure that business continues to happen? What's What's been going on over on your team, Danny? Well, I, will, I promise I will answer that question, but I just want to um, give a heavy plus one to what Ryan was saying about a Cribs tour, anything and Michelle was saying about coffee chats, um, it actually ties to the, you know, the more stringent measurement and everything else. Like we need to over communicate right now and we need to be very real and experimental with how we do that. So like personally, I've very much been craving seeing my colleagues and being in the office and that's just not a reality. And so one day last week I wrote it in my org wide channel. I miss you. Does anyone have pizza with me? And we ended up setting up a bunch of meals. There's no agenda. We did we did a version of Cribs, which was um, show me the most embarrassing thing that is not fit in your Zoom screen. And, and they weren't embarrassing, but like puppies show up or snacks show up or piles of laundry. And all of that is really necessary, especially if you're going to lean into strict measurement and pounding the phones and making sure pipeline is there. You can't just do that and lose the human connection. The reason people are comfortable putting in that legwork is because they want to perform for you, their leader, and for their customers, and they're not getting any of that personal interaction. So yes, we are um, we are leaning into our operational rigor even more. I think our job as leaders is actually just to provide a lot more clarity. What are we looking at? How do we interpret performance beyond obvious things on the dashboard? So beyond ACV closed one, how do we interpret whether someone's performing well? And in my world, it's attitude and inputs. You know, attitude's a whole separate story, but inputs is basically, you know, we, we've categorized what kind of things matter for us. It's director plus meetings. 
We have a troops alert that posts that in Slack. There's a lot of celebration around it. Um, but what I try to hold myself accountable to, which I think I do an okay job of, but can always improve, is being clear on what's important, having the discipline to focus on, let's say, two, mat two metrics that really move the needle and ideally are leading indicators of revenue, because revenue is kind of obvious, um, and then making sure that it's crystal clear where everyone stands on those things. Um, and the trust part that you said, like, you need to hire people that you trust. So whether we're working remotely or not, there isn't like a sudden concern that people aren't doing work because they're at home. It's more on us to figure out have we empowered them to do it right and know what matters. Does that mean, Danny, just staying with you for a second, that does does Slack, I don't, I'm not even aware if you do, do you hire people straight out of undergrad? Do you hire no. people with no professional experience? No, even, even folks who join our SDR team um, tend to have several years of experience. Um, so by the time you're selling a mid-market, you've had up to a decade of selling experience. Um, so there's some professional maturity having had my first job and remembered how I behaved uh, on my first job. I'd prefer to hire someone in their second plus job so they've learned how to be an employee elsewhere. But, you know, to each their own. At, at HubSpot, we did, and and that also panned out really well and was uh, an amazing platform for many people's careers. Ryan, how about you, sir? Yeah, I, I would say that um, going into this, I was terrified. Right? Going into the situation, we have we have an inside sales force. Our, our demographic definitely leans um, more towards people who are early on in their career. And activity metrics was something that we were watching really closely as we got going in terms of you know looking at our our, our call uh, log and activities per person and emails going out and. You know, shame on me because our team just absolutely blew the numbers out. In fact, we saw spikes in activity, more activity than we'd ever seen before. And what we realized is that there's just a ton of effort and contribution when you hire the right people and the right team. And so we've we've really sort of pulled off of that. What we're we're more focused in on is the engagement rate. So how much response are we getting from customers? Are we able to move our our deals through the pipeline to Discovery Plus and into demo? We know now that we've just got a really good benchmark of inputs, and now we're just trying to figure out are we are we able to convert more of those conversations? And that's that's where we're spending the majority of our time, and where our managers are spending the majority of the the, uh, the time coaching on how do I get someone who might have signed up for a trial that isn't willing to talk to us right now? We know that the reps are sending out the emails and making the calls, but how do we make it more compelling? How do we add more value so that we give our our, our team a better chance to convert? Have you seen those changes in conversion rates, even from just a you know a preliminary analysis? Yeah, I mean, from when we looked at the data, you could see a shift, basically the end of March going into April in terms of those conversion rates and engagement. Um, it's come back up certainly in May and June. I, I think some of that is definitely just uh, people getting used to working at home and understanding that this is going to be the new normal. And then some of it for sure was just the change in playbook from, from the team. Awesome. Michelle, how about you? Is HubSpot still hiring people fresh out of undergrad? What are you doing in those cases, if so, to, to keep an eye on them, given that you know there's not a lot of micromanagement that can happen when everybody's at a distance? Yeah. Uh, so yes, we are still hiring in general. We're also hiring uh, people right out of college. Uh, we're really leading into our diverse hiring. Um, so still huge initiatives for us, which is great because the company continues to grow at a very high rate. 
Um, and I'm dying to hear what Danny was like at her early years of sales. <laughs> we'll send you all the photos after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, we're we're always trying to push ourselves ourselves to be better when it comes to ramping reps more effectively. Looking at the productivity per rep when they when they're going through a new higher ramp. We're creating um, group workshops so that each manager isn't solely responsible for coaching their individual reps. How do we get them? in a one-to-many learning. So that's been pretty effective. I actually think we've improved our ramp time, to be honest with you. Um, you know, but but those are a lot of the reps who are looking for deeper connections and how do we create those kind of casual encounters for them. And then on the metrics um, perspective, I think one of the, the areas that I've grown as a leader, and I'm, I'm really happy that HubSpot supports this, is um, focusing on the inputs that matter. So even though I run the, the high velocity, high volume sales org at HubSpot, we don't focus on number of calls as an input. We don't focus on the number of emails as an input. We focus on a number of deals created and how many discovery calls were held. Those are the ones that we know move the needle the most. If we have to coach people on the other inputs to get there, then we're willing to do that. But if you're a rep who can make fewer dials in order to book the, a certain amount of meetings, I want to coach other reps how to make fewer dials. So they have more time for research, more time for work that's going to make them more productive. So the messaging we've had to the team isn't we need more from you. It's it's my job as a leader. It's it's the job of my sales managers to make them work smarter, not harder. So we actually try to ask people, pull back how hard you're working because we know everyone's in a stressed environment. Take an extra walk. Have some more time with your family. Get on a casual Zoom. Let's agree that we want to make you more productive so you can do less um, with, with more and, and hit your number with less inputs. So we kind of have a flip on, I think, what a lot of traditional sales orgs tend to lean into. And so far it's working, correct? It's the best year we've we've had. We're, yeah, the team's number one globally at HubSpot. So, so far, so good. Well, great job. Keep it going. To, uh, there's a... A, a tremendous number of people, some of whom were prepared to work from home, some of whom may not have been. Ryan, has Sprout done anything or what has what the group done at large in order to just make sure that the teams are, are technologically set up for success? Have you given them new tools, different tools? How have you, how have you handled that? Because I imagine there's, you mentioned that there's a lot of youngsters uh, on the team and people with less experience. Some of those people might not have all of the equipment they need to really excel at home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different components that go into this conversation. One is just leaving space for flexibility. And that's, you know, certainly the people who are a younger demographic that weren't ready to work from home, but then there's a lot of people like many of us on this call that have families and kids running around. And so the flexibility is being super important and just understanding that we're all in a very different environment right now. Um, in terms of supporting the team, um, we pretty early on came out with a stipend just to enable people to go out and get the tech that they needed. And, you know, some people it was microphones and cameras, um, but that was really important for us um, to, to enable them with that. We've also just had many of our folks actually head to different locations. So some of our, our, our folks that are in the SDR, BDR world live with many different roommates and it hasn't been conducive to doing all the work at home and they've, uh, they've ended up heading back to their parents' house. And, uh, and so, I mean, I think the net of it for us is we found that the team can be highly productive in a remote environment. And I think that this is going to be the new normal on a go forward. And many of our businesses, if, if we weren't there already, are going to have to be a remote first environment, which I think offers a, a lot of opportunity long-term. 
Yeah. Danny, how about you? What have, what has Slack done to make sure that the team is, is set up for success? Um, some of the basics that Ryan covered just in terms of stipend for your setup, another stipend for your setup as we realize, okay, this thing isn't going to pass in a month or two. Um, but I don't think that's been the most meaningful part. Um, I promise this is not a shameless gong plug because I felt obligated to. We happened to roll out gong. We've been we had been preparing to buy gong for a long time. Uh, we happened to roll it out um, right as we settled into shelter in place. And it has been phenomenal for helping people learn from one another and actually like even more proactively learn from one another across office boundaries than we have before. So this is new, but we're really implementing a culture of um, being super vulnerable with calls that you totally bombed and posting that and saying, here's where I fumbled, who has advice for me, like huge points for anyone who does that. And then calls where something went well and people are, you know, wingmanning, wingwomaning each other and, and posting snippets. So that's been really great. Um, and yeah, it, just generally, like, it's not about instrumentation. It's just how do you facilitate a culture of learning and sharing and um, how do you take a group of mostly ambiverts and extroverts and give them that um, stimulation they need outside of just customer calls. And that's really what we're trying to innovate on. So Gong is the tool that we've used for the learning part, but then um, our approach to QBR is like using um, breakout rooms to have cross regional discussions on account reviews and other strategies, bringing in outside speakers to help energize the team and give them an outside perspective of, you know, the rocket ship we're on and all of that. Like, I think those are the kinds of things that are helping us make the most of the situation we're in and actually see some of the benefits of it. Makes a lot of sense. Michelle, I want to shift a little bit to, to the, the sales motion with the buyer. And there's, we're talking a lot about how are we motivating and managing the teams and keeping people engaged and what tools are we giving them? But there's also this challenge of, of uh, a group of salespeople that do not have the opportunity to meet uh, buyers in person. Now, if you're pure inside sales and you've never, you know, that's not a part of anything that you've done, fair enough. But there's a lot of folks that used in-person meetings, conferences and trade shows, coffees to build rapport and trust with customers. How do you do that in an environment that's completely virtual and digital where everybody's learning the new nomenclature, the new language of video calls of digital selling. What have you done to address that? Yeah, so it's interesting. So my my the first half of my career, I was in 100% outside sales. And this the last, you know, eight to 10 years or so has been 100% inside. So I know personally what it's been like to make that transition. And, um, you know, and it's different. It's not having the body language or the chit chat outside of the conference room before you hop in there. And, um, you know, just having, a, it's a different feel when you're in person. And um, if people haven't read anything by Frances Fry, she's a Harvard Business School professor, and she, she writes and speaks a lot about building trust, um, especially in the B2B environment. And listen, it, I think it comes down to three things. It's knowledge, you know, being able to show that you're a knowledgeable rep, that you know your product, you know your buyer, you understand their pain. 
You know, the other one is authenticity. It's being able to communicate, you know, the real you and having the person on the other end feel that authenticity. And listen, we all know, especially those of us who are sales leaders, when you're training reps who are early in their career and they hop on the phone for the first time for that cold call, they put on their salesperson voice and you're like, what happened to the real you? Like you just put on this voice and persona as though you're a salesperson today. You know, the person on the other end can feel that, they can sense it. So that authenticity is super important. And then the final piece of that is really logic, being able to actively work with them logically on, you know, what's going to work for their business, what isn't, um, and meeting them with empathy. I think that's really kind of the, the tripod of, of uh, that stool there. So, you know, be real, know your product, you know, know your buyer, and also meet them with a, an empathetic ear. I love it. Danny, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, there was a task force dedicated to this idea at Slack. What are some of the ideas that emerged from that task force? Yeah, I will. Um, I'll share them. Michelle, I just had a flashback to HubSpot, my first year in management, um, working with someone on how to build rapport, which is such an awkward topic to work on. And we, we were in one of the conference rooms and um, he didn't want to make eye contact because it was too awkward to role play rapport. So we had our chairs spun back to back and we would practice talking about things that aren't the weather to let someone's guard down, build trust, avoid the like robotic salesy voice. That's real thing. Um, yeah. So this remote task force um, is really interesting. We've had two meetings. So it's a cross-functional team across solutions engineering leadership, um, customer success, and then mostly Ent and Lent. Um, so enterprise and large enterprise individual contributors. And I kind of brought them all into a virtual room to say, what was amazing about face-to-face -face selling? And we had a big brainstorm on that, which I really recommend that everyone does because then it helps you figure out the design principles for whatever your solution is. And they just, you know, in a nostalgic way went on and on, like the serendipity of who you meet um, while you're walking to the meeting, the ability to talk about things that aren't the core agenda of the meeting, et cetera, et cetera. So we had this big long brainstorm and then we set aside to figure out what would we want to build to not, you know, to recreate um, the positivity that came from there. And we came up with three categories. I'm happy to share deliverables with anyone who wants, um, once those are shipped. But one is basically a new playbook on how to lead a virtual meeting, um, all the way from, you know, remind people camera on when you create the calendar invite um, so that it's more personal, encourage people to be off mute, um, use a digital whiteboard, be conscious of what percentage of time you have slides up, like all those things that discourage interaction and, and allow people to tune out, even being cognizant of um, number of participants within a meeting, because as you feel more and more anonymous, you are less and less engaged. So that's one group. The other one was um, reimagining our executive briefing center. So we have a woman, Marnie, who leads our EBC programs, which are amazing. And step one was shifting in person to digital, but step two is like completely reimagining digital and figuring out how to over deliver for customers. So we have some cool ideas there in terms of um, executive cameo videos and sending swag and all sorts of other things that we're brainstorming. Stay tuned. And then the third was um, breaking into new accounts. So we had a cheesy name that I hope will change because um, I came up with it, which is stand out to break in, but it's basically like what changes about prospecting and what changes in the early innings of talking to a customer and how can you create momentum in the absence of face-to-face -face selling without um, 
building trust through in-person relationships. And that one is work in progress, but um, we have kind of a creative idea about how to share what not to do as step one. And then step two will be, you know, painting the picture of what it looks like. How many people is optimal for a virtual meeting? I'm curious on what you think about that. What is the right number? Well, the magic number, Sam, is six. <laughs> Good. Uh, is that true? That's what you all came up with? I said it with confidence. <laughs> no, we didn't come up with the magic number. Is six, is better. six the number that you feel that you feel good about? So I think six is the number where everyone can be off mute the whole time. Um, and that to me is the key, but I made that up. Um, so yeah, I, like I don't know. What do you think? I think six, I was going to say six or seven, you know, yeah. somewhere around there, 12 is too many. Ryan, uh, I want to take it back to you. What, what have you done to address Again, change it, building rapport, trying to drive engagement. You mentioned, you know, you're looking at the sales pipeline, you're looking at conversion percentages, you're trying to understand, are things changing if they are? What are you doing with the team or what are you doing with the product in order to address some of those issues as they come up? There's a couple things we're thinking about. Uh, from that trust standpoint, we all know it's, it's so much harder to build rapport, especially for our field teams that we're used to being on site and, and walking to meetings together with the customer and being in that room uh, and having the informal conversation. Uh, I was looking at an article the other day from Trust Radius, and they went through the things that drive the, the most amount of trust in a buying process. Number one was a customer's personal experience with your product. Number two was a trial, so they're able to test it themselves. Number three was a demo. And then number four was customer references. And so you can see that people trust themselves, right? And so if you have the ability to get their hands on the keyboard, give customers the opportunity to actually experience your product, I think that's the best way to build trust. And so we're leaning really heavily into the trial. We want people to be experiencing the product. Um, we also, you know, we talked about it at the beginning of the call, making decisions right now is really hard, right? Getting budget right now is really hard. Everything's being scrutinized and change management is difficult. So if you can find a way to make it much easier on the buyer to really mitigate the risk for them, huge upside. So that's one thing we're thinking about. The second thing I just say is that you know, decision-making is often done um, based on emotion and then justified by logic, right? That's just typically how, how we buy. And we are spending a lot of time with our team talking about the way that we make customers feel. We, we have a motto here that used to be, be easy to do business with. And we changed it as we went into 2020 to be a joy to do business with. And so that's what we're pressing ourselves on is, is it a joyful experience? Is this something that a customer would tell another person about because of the interaction with you? And it may sound soft, but we do think it makes the difference. And you know, we are sharing this, we have a, a talk love channel for Sprout and we'll take tweets that we get from customers or great calls on Gong and we'll share that out. But the intention is that it's how you make customers feel. And we think that makes a massive difference, especially in this market. I, I think, uh, I don't think it's soft at all. And I think the change of be easy to be a joy, that's a meaningful difference and it sparks emotion. When I, you know, when I hear it, I feel the emotion of it. So I love that. I love that modification. It's, um, we've got about 15 minutes left and we've got a number of really good questions. So uh, unless I hear from anybody at Gong that it's not okay, I think let's, let's take some questions from the audience. The first one is, uh, Michelle, there are so many different uh, objections that we're probably hearing related to COVID uncertainty. 
How have you messaged with the team? How have you worked with the team to handle objections that are specific to saying, I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm in a kind of wait and see mode. I'm not, you know, my budget's been frozen on marketing automation or CRM. So I'm just not sure. What's your coaching back to the team in order to be able to handle that objection? Yeah, I mean, we always lean with empathy. So, you know, how do you understand their problem? What's the scope of their problem? You know, how do you quantify the pain that it has on their business and the impact if they do nothing? If they could do something now and it would give them, you know, a, a bigger ROI that could help fuel their business, does it make sense to think about that? Um, and if we could work with them when it comes to billing terms or, or something of that nature, you know, does that, is that something that they would consider? So I think it's really all about figuring out how does your, your product solve their problem? How acute is their problem? And can you help them get out of the potential trough they might be in right now? So, and, and then, you know, the last piece is, listen, if they can't do it right now, if they can't consider, if their budget is frozen, you know, I, I think it's about nurturing and maintaining that relationship with the prospect um, and providing value to them until they're in a place where they have more secure footing. Um, I have been surprised though at how many people have found budget and have realized now is a time, the time of uncertainty is a time to invest in their business. That has been an area where we have been incredibly surprised with, especially with how nimble a lot of small businesses and medium-sized businesses have been in taking this as a time to research and invest. Awesome. Uh, Ryan, how about you? How, how have you handled some of those objections related to COVID uncertainty? Yeah, we're really pressing our team on diving deeper on that business case. And it really starts with discovery, right? We want to make sure that we're going deep enough on the, not just the feature pain, but the business pain and then the personal pain. Is there enough motivation for this company where they're going to get a huge lift in doing something with Sprout, where it's valuable for the business and valuable for the person who's leading the evaluation? And we, we as a leadership team are really trying to press on our team to ask that question. If you were in the shoes of the buyer, why would you do this and why would you do it now? And so some, in some cases, it's not a good fit, right? And the customer doesn't have enough pain and we may be not being able to uncover it. And it might be better just nurturing the relationship, as Michelle said, and, and um, hopefully staying in touch with them and moving on to an, a customer that may need us. So I think it just goes back to just going really deep on the discovery side and then putting yourself in the buyer's shoes. Yeah, I, I want to underscore that point that you just made, because part of it is, Part of it is just effective qualification, which is exactly what you just said. It's I think if time is is a is a precious resource now more than ever because our lives are just a complete blend of work and uh, personal life and dog duty and stuff like that. And so you got to make sure that if the objections aren't over overcomable, that you're doing an even more uh, uh, an even more efficient process around qualification because we've seen within Revenue Collective that there's some pipeline bifurcation. There's a group of people that are just in perpetual wait and see mode. And there's a group of people that are ready to buy right now. And it's about identifying those folks really effectively. Danny, I, I want to ask a question from the audience about onboarding. Uh, yeah. Thinking about new reps and, you know, I know uh, you recently hired a, a good friend of mine uh, onto the Devante, team. Devante, big shout out to Devante, who is amazing. And we're very lucky to have him. Absolutely. He's fantastic. Um, so let's talk about onboarding in a remote environment. How, and this question I think is really interesting. How have you fostered collaboration cross-functionally? How do you make sure both from a working perspective and a cultural perspective that the new members of the team aren't just getting to know you and your leadership, but all of the other 
you know, serendipitous departments that you might bump into in the course of going to the office that now you don't have that opportunity to? It's such a good question. Um, and I wouldn't say that I have all the answers or we've totally nailed it quite yet. Um, if anything, I think right now is shining the spotlight on sales enablement and learning and development teams everywhere um, to figure out how to create that amazing experience. And then the role that I see I play in it is um, basically encouraging excuses for people to reach out to one another. So, you know, at the smallest level, all new folks, you know, we had in Devante's class, maybe seven new hires uh, in mid-market over the last month or so. Each of them introduce themselves and just create um, catalysts for people to reach out to them one-on-one, -on -one, whether or not there is an agenda to talk about um, so that they can feel a warm welcome. And that way there's less of a cognitive load for them to reach out to someone else when they have a silly little question. When it comes to cross-functional engagement, um, the remote selling task force is, I think, a good example of it. Think about initiatives that would really value a lot of perspectives, both ones that have recently come from other companies that are amazing and those that have been around your company for a while, and then create the room for them to do all the brainstorming. So I, I came into that. I basically like orchestrated a group of people and came in with, with very few ideas or answers, just structured a couple of brainstorms, and they came up with unbelievable ideas. And, and one of the people in that group has only been at Slack for, I think, a month or two. So create those moments. They're, they're not quite for serendipity, but for, um, for productive collaboration with other team members and actually seek out new uh, voices and new experiences um, coming into your org because they can probably bring something really good. I love that. Um, that's that's yeah. great. Michelle, uh, you know, you mentioned this uh, when we were talking about metrics that you're not focused on number of calls. You're not focused on number of emails. Question from the audience is how do you balance it's that same question of accountability with giving the flexibility, you know, this concept of work-life in integration, the flexibility of people who are struggling. They're struggling with stay-at-home uh, kids. They're struggling emotionally. They are maybe taking care of other loved ones like parents or they're staying with their parents. Maybe their parents don't know how to use the internet and the cable guy is coming and they have to oversee that. So how are you, how are you handling that? What's your approach for teams and for teammates that are, that are dealing with those challenges at home and, and really feeling the weight, especially right now, you know, now is a particularly interesting time for this, for this question, because we are coming up on uh, September and for people with children that are, that are young, there are parents all over the world and the country that are really in a state of panic because every school district is handling going back to school differently. Every state is handling it differently. There are not a lot of guidelines. The guidelines sometimes are, uh, we're going to do this for a little while unless uh, there's a resurgence or a second wave, in which case all bets are off. So what, how are you handling uh, your team in that in that context? And what are you telling them? And how are you making sure that they feel as supported as possible? Yeah, 100%. I mean, listen, I, I, I live this too. I've had my two girls, ages eight and six, home with me, working full-time, single mom. Like, it's a lot to juggle, um, all of that. So... I, I am in the trenches with people who are juggling a lot and it's not always easy. You know, I think a lot of us uh, got in sales for a couple of reasons. One is we like to make money uh, and connect with people. And, and two is 
you know, there is this idea that salespeople can have a life with flexibility, with work-life integration. I know when I was coming in, it was, if you're hitting your number, there's a little bit more leeway that you have. I think probably some of us on this call feel that way about some of our, our top performers. And that is one of the ways that we really try to lean into how do we help make you more productive? If I have reps who are beating their number, they're happy, they're making money, they're hitting their goals, and they can work four and a half days a week, even four days a week, by all means, I'm thrilled for them. I don't need extra hours of work because they're doing what we've asked. And so we really try to lean into how do we help make you more productive? And we use things like gong and snippets of gong to say, here is how a rep uh, overcomes objections really well. Here is how they uh, work through this tricky, um, you know, integration uh, that somebody is trying to work into a deal. So we try to use training um, and lean in on there and we have unlimited vacation time. And so we let people know, like you take the time you need, you need a Friday off, you take it. Um, and it's on us to help them make, be more productive as best as possible. So we put a lot of that pressure on the managers and, and myself and my leadership team as well. I think that's a great approach. And uh, thinking of you as we head into September, this is a, a question on a slightly different uh, tack. It's not necessarily about COVID specifically, but Ryan, there's a question from the audience and, and I want to relate it a little bit to COVID, which is the question is, what are some things you would recommend a senior rep that has interest in a sales leadership role do? And, and that relates to my question for you, to you about Sprout, which is how have you handled if, have there been changes, modifications, or is it steady, you know, steady as she goes when it comes to professional development, when it comes to, hey, we've got a review cycle, uh, you know, we've got uh, a promotion cadence at the end of the year, is all of that on pace, on par? And, and what advice would you give somebody that wants to make sure that in, the, in all of the, the frenetic activity around the pandemic, that they still have a career development path that they feel good about and they know which direction they're heading? Yeah, well, one of the things that we've said is really important as a leadership team is that we try and maintain some stability in the way that we work. And we know that there's a lot of craziness happening uh, around us, but when we thought about um, the way that we manage per performance and career progression and the things that we always did pre-COVID, we wanted to continue them through. And so we certainly needed to make some modifications in how we think about the business and how we evaluate people and some of the metrics we look at. But our career progression, our promotion paths, the opportunity to, to move up in your career has remained the same for us. So we're, we're constantly celebrating opportunities where people are moving into different roles across the organization. Uh, we got a little bit more structured in our approach to, to career progression this year. Every single role in our organization now and every individual has their own career progression doc that helps them understand exactly where they are point in time, the skill sets that they're trying to develop, what they need to develop to get into the next stage of their career, what the next opportunity looks like. So I would just recommend if you can, trying to create some stability for people in the organization. Um, we know that our, our folks, are, you know, and everybody's folks across the board are just uh, busting their butts to, to deliver for the company. And, and we wanna make sure that they see that their contributions are being recognized. From a leadership perspective, um, we've, we've introduced this past year, this idea of team leads. And so the team lead role is actually a role with a slightly different compensation. It's got some additional responsibility. And the people who are interviewing for those team lead roles are people who are after a leadership role. So they're taking on more initiative within their teams to lead without title. 
And, and that would be one recommendation, whether a team lead role exists, um, but the opportunity to take on more initiative within your organization is, is probably a great way to craft or to hone some of your leadership skills um, and also just prove to yourself and to others uh, that you'd be good at it. When you, uh, uh, one just quick follow-up question, the common challenge with team leads is oftentimes a team lead still has a quota yep. and then they also have a sort of like a team quota attached and they're often not sure, should I be working on my deals or should I be helping the rest of the team? How have you addressed that, that sort of central challenge? Yeah, the way that we've done it is we've given them some initiatives that they can track down that we want them to help with. And then we've, we've given them a very, a very different quota. So it's not the exact same quota that they had before. So they're sharing in some of the team's success while still maintaining some responsibility on their own individual number. Awesome. And with that, I will say thank you so much. A heartfelt thanks to my fellow panelists. You all did an incredibly an amazing job. And we will see all of you next time. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.